We're beginning our brand new Christmas series today called Unusual Gifts. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the three gifts that the wise men presented to Jesus at his birth. And uh, you'll notice that we got three gifts on stage today. We've got two under the tree. I've got one right here on the table. We'll talk more about that um, in just a minute. But for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about uh, the significance of the gifts that the wise men presented to Jesus and what that means for our life today. And the reason that we're calling this series Unusual Gifts is because the gifts that they presented to Jesus, uh, they were just that. They were, they were unusual gifts. They weren't the kind of gifts that you thought uh, 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 wise men would give to a, to a baby uh, when he was born, okay? So that's what we're going to unpack. That's the idea behind our series. Uh, so as we begin today, let me ask you this question. How many of you at some point in time in your life, uh, whether it's a birthday or Christmas or anniversary or just maybe some office party or something, you received some kind of unusual gift and you weren't really sure what it was all about or how to receive it? Let me see your hand. All right. Anybody kind of received an unusual gift? All right. At some level, we probably all could go back to, here's what's unique about unusual gifts. Uh, those are always the ones that we seem to remember, aren't they? I mean, we can just remember that unusual gift that we were given from time to time and uh, for, for whatever reason, okay? Um, uh, that just got me thinking this week, and I sat down at my computer, so I just Googled uh, unusual Christmas gifts uh, or popular unusual Christmas gifts, I think is what I did. And uh, just want to share a few of those with you today to kind of get us, our, our minds wrapped around the idea of, of unusual um, gifts, okay? Uh, we got any metalheads in the house? Any people that grew up in the 80s like I did with the big, big band hair day, uh, big band hair days? Yeah, I see somebody over there. This is a, a rock and roll candle that's popular this year, okay? All right, so if I see somebody giving me the, uh, uh, the rock and roll candle, candle symbol, all right? We're on the same page today, all right? Uh, this next one is something that I think I'm actually, I don't know if my wife's in this service or not, but if she's not, don't tell her. I think I might get her this because she would love these. Uh, these are pickled flavored candy canes. We got any pickle lovers in the house? Uh, my wife, no doubt, no, no, no joke, she will literally eat every pickle jar in the, in the jar and then she'll turn the jar up and just drink the pickle juice right out of the jar. And I'm like, no kisses for you tonight, okay? Uh, but my wife would love that, and I may try to get her some of those for, uh, uh, for Christmas. Uh, then this next one is kind of disturbing to me. I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, this is called the Taco Cat Phone Case, all right? And uh, I love tacos, but I'm not sure how appealing it is uh, to stick a feline or a cat in there. Don't that just make you want to run out of Taco Bell today and have a, have a taco for lunch? Um, so, uh, fun fact, uh, if you're wondering how you spell taco cat or you say taco cat backwards, taco cat. Some of y'all get that on your way home. All right. Uh, and then this last one I think is kind of cute. If you have children, you'll get this. This is a tortilla baby wrap outfit. Okay. So you can wrap your little grandchild or your little baby in a burrito outfit and, and uh, I think that's actually kind of a, kind of a cool um, idea. Uh, these gifts are certainly unusual. I don't know how significant they are, uh, but they certainly are um, unusual gifts. And uh, I've been in ministry for um, almost 30 years now. 
And God has allowed me to, to meet a lot of different people. And uh, I've been on the receiving end of a lot of great gifts over the last 25 or 30 years. And I'm grateful for every single one of them. But as pastors, sometimes we get some unusual gifts. And I'll be honest with you, uh, when I receive those kind of gifts, I'm not real sure what the person that's giving them to me is trying to, uh, you know, to, to say or communicate or, or whatever, but uh, I've learned just to receive every gift with grace and, uh, and try to uh, really understand the heart of the person that was giving me something. So I brought uh, an unusual gift that I was given a few years ago. Let me tell you a little bit of the backstory behind this, okay? Uh, it really is a... It's unusual, but it's significant, okay? And we're going to kind of get a little serious here for just a second. But a few years ago, I had the opportunity to meet a lady uh, who basically grew up on the streets of New York City by herself, basically raised herself. And uh, she, she stole cars, basically is what she did for a living. And she would sell stolen cars to chop shops in New York City. Yeah, that's a real thing. And she would, that's, that's how she raised herself. She, she, she was orphaned as a child. She basically grew up on the streets, really, really hard person. And, uh, and uh, uh, I met her and she started coming to our church and I had an opportunity to introduce her to Jesus. And uh, when she really understood the impact uh, and the sacrifice that Jesus had made for her, it radically changed her life. I mean, she just went from being a really hard person to being a, a soft person, somebody that wasn't really interested in being around people and connecting with others to being somebody who showed up all the time and would serve and, and would go the extra mile and, and a very talented young lady. And one Easter, as I was teaching and preaching about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us when he died on the cross, I talked about the cat of nine tails. And that's what this is. And if you're not familiar with the cat of nine tails, this is a picture of it. But basically, the Romans invented the cat of nine tails. And it really was a weapon in the ancient world that Roman soldiers would use to to whip people and to beat people. Um, If you read about somebody uh, receiving uh, lashes in the scripture or being beaten in the Bible, we know the apostle Paul was beaten. We know that many of the early church apostles uh, for their faith, they were arrested and they were beaten. They would have been whipped and beaten with a device like this. Jesus would have been whipped and beaten with a cat of nine tails um, just before he was nailed to a cross and crucified. And as I was teaching on that, um, it just really impacted um, this lady. And uh, she went home, and over the next few days, she made her best attempt to to make, for me, a homemade cat of nine tails. And it's probably pretty accurate to what the Romans would have done. It's just a stick that has some leather strips. It would have been at least nine, hence the name Cat of Nine Tails. But attached or, or tied to or woven into would be things like nails and rocks and stone and metal and whatever else was available that would, that would rip the flesh of somebody who was being beaten. And obviously the point was you don't ever cross the Romans. And um, when she gave me this gift... Um, I wasn't sure how to receive it at the time because it was unusual, but it has become a very significant gift to me over the years. As a matter of fact, I keep this in my office 
And every time that I, I look at this, it's a reminder to me of what Jesus went through when he died on the cross. And what he went through to pay my sin debt. So it's unusual, but it's also significant. And that's the idea behind the gifts that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks when we unpack the gifts that the, the wise men presented to Jesus, they were certainly unusual gifts to present to a baby, but they were very significant. And each gift says something about Jesus, and it says something to us. So what I want to do today is I get the privilege to kick off our series uh, talking about uh, frankincense. And I want to begin in Matthew chapter number 2. And if you have a copy of a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you have it on your smartphone or your tablet or, or whatever, you can click on that. We'll have some scripture on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to have one, we have some that are our gift to you. They're at the back of each seating section. Just feel free to take one. Uh, as you head out the door at our care center, we've got some additional copies there. We want everybody to have a copy of the Bible. Uh, so in Matthew chapter number two is the account of the nativity story where we're going to spend most of our time today. And I got a other, couple other passages of scripture we're going to talk about in the New Testament, but I want us to explore this unusual gift of frankincense and what it says about Jesus and what it says to us. So in Matthew chapter two and verse number one, here's what the Bible says. Uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse three says, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Let me stop there for just a second because I want to clear up or help us understand a few misconceptions that, that there are about these wise men and, and these gifts, okay? Uh, the first thing is this. Contrary to what we've heard all of our life in the nativity story, um, the wise men most likely did not show up the night that Jesus was born. I know that's what it, the, it's pictured in all of our nativity scenes that we have on our Christmas decorations. And I know that's what's on the postcards and I know that's what's in the movies, but the Bible never says that the wise men showed up the night that Jesus was born. Matter of fact, it could have been up to uh, at two years from the time that Jesus was born. And the reason we know that is because uh, King Herod um, met the wise men when they rolled up in Jerusalem. We're going to see that in just a second. He had heard about why they were there. He sent them on assignment to go find Jesus. But God knew Herod's heart because Herod was jealous of anybody who was a threat to his kingdom. And Herod said, hey, you guys go find him and come back and tell me where he's at so that I can go worship him. And the Bible tells us that the wise men went to to find Jesus. They found him. They worshiped him. They presented him to gifts. But God told them, don't go back and tell Herod where he's at. Go back to your home another route. Herod found out about that and realized that he had kind of been snookered by the wise men. 
So he makes this, he makes this decree. And verse 16 tells us, then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage and he gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem, look here, who were two years old or under in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. So it could have been up to two years from the time that they met Herod in Jerusalem to when they actually found Jesus. We don't know the exact time period, but there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that they actually showed up the night that Jesus was born. Another misconception is there's no indication that there were only three wise men. Again, I know that's in all of our nativity scenes. I know that's in all the movies. And probably the reason why we think there is three is because they presented three specific gifts, gold, frankincense, uh, and, and, and myrrh. But there is no indication again in scripture that, that there were only three. Matter of fact, I'm of the opinion there was probably um, several dozen of them that showed up. And the reason I say that is because in verse number um, Verse number three, it says, when King Herod heard this, heard what? When he heard the wise men had come to Jerusalem, it says he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Three guys roll into town, that's not that big of a deal. But a whole posse and a whole caravan of people that are unexpected roll up into town to the point that King Herod starts to wonder, who are these people? And the Bible says the whole city of Jerusalem is kind of um, up in arms a little bit. That, that tells me that it probably was a significant number of people. Uh, my mind immediately goes back to the Old West and watching old westerns when the outlaw gang rolled up into town and everybody started getting off the streets and going behind closed doors and peeking through um, curtains in the windows and that kind of thing. I, I think it was that kind of scene that night because here are these people from out of town that nobody knows and they've rolled up with all this expensive uh, uh, stuff that they've got with this caravan and everybody's wondering who in the world they are. The Bible tells us they were wise men in verse number one. Uh, they were not, another misconception is that they were kings from the east. They were not royalty. Uh, they were wise men. The original language of the Old Testament for that, that phrase wise men is majoi, M-A-G-O-I. It's where we get the word magi in our, our translation of the Bible. Uh, a more literal translation of the word would be magician. Uh, these were Eastern astrologers. These were soothsayers. These were people um, who studied the skies and the heavens and the stars and the universe, uh, trying to figure out life and God and meaning and purpose and significance and, and, and all that. Uh, it's an ancient practice that goes all the way back uh, to the ancient Old Testament. If you remember the prophet Daniel, uh, Daniel was put in charge of all of the wise men in the Babylonian kingdom. And these types of people, uh, people who studied the heavens and the stars and interpreted dreams and things like that, uh, those were these kind of, uh, of men, okay? Uh, so, so they were not necessarily kings, but they were very successful. They were very wealthy, and, and that is portrayed in the gifts that they brought 
to Jesus. So the point of all this is that sometimes unusual gifts are significant gifts. And what we're going to talk about today and for the next two weeks are those three gifts that the wise men presented to Jesus. And we're going to talk about how unusual they were for them to present those gifts to a baby, but how significant they are even to our life today over 2,000 years later. So at a high level, let me tell you what we're going to do as it relates to frankincense, okay? Uh, when they presented baby Jesus with the gift of frankincense, uh, it connected something from the past, it announced something in the present, and it predicted something about the future, that gift of frankincense, it tied something to the past that people would have understood uh, within the nation of Israel. It announced something in the present about the baby Jesus that they went to worship, and it predicted something about their future. So let's finish the passage in Matthew chapter 11, if we can. In verse four, he says, so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least, are no means by the least among the leaders of Judah. Because of you, one will come who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summons the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star that they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold and with frankincense and with myrrh. Frankincense in the ancient Bible times was a, was a gum-like resin. Matter of fact, we have uh, some frankincense today in this little jar that I've got. It was harvested from a certain type of tree that existed uh, in ancient times. It's called the Baswila tree. And it was a very expensive gift, but it was very practical. Um, it's a gum-like resin. It would kind of be like... a uh, a sap or the innards of a tree that we would see dripping down tree bark uh, today. It was harvested from the Boswilla tree. It was very expensive, but it was very practical. It was used in ancient times as an antiseptic. It was used as a diuretic for people who would have digestive problems uh, in, in, in their stomach. It was used as a sedative uh, it was very therapeutic because it had a lot of therapeutic uh, properties. It would have been used uh, to treat people who had wounds or cuts or, or bruises of some sort and some type. Uh, today, if you were to Google frankincense and how it's used, and it's still available today, you would find that it's used as skin treatments. You would find that it's used for aromatherapies. Uh, it's very good for some types of bacteria and fungi uh, that's, that, that grows. Uh, it's commonly used as fragrance in soaps and lotions and, and perfumes. Very unusual gift for a baby, 
but a very significant gift for Jesus and for us. When we give gifts to babies, we give passies and onesies and and diapers and wipes and and all that stuff. Real practical, right? Okay. Uh, Well, this would have been a very practical gift back in Jesus's time, but a very unusual gift uh, to give to a baby unless you understand what it's tied to the past about. So to do that, I want to take you back to Exodus chapter number 28, uh, the second book in the Bible in Exodus chapter number 28. Um, what uh, the gift of frankincense does is it helps us understand uh, the ministry of the high priest in ancient Israel. And in Exodus chapter 28, this is the period of time uh, after Moses had delivered the Israelites from the Egyptian slavery. They were making their way through what we know as the wilderness experience, that 40-year time period where God took Israel from Egypt to the promised land. And during that time period, God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to make or or create a tabernacle that's portable that you can take, that you and the Israelites can take with you through the wilderness. And from time to time, matter of fact, on a daily basis, uh, the high priest is going to offer sacrifices and is going to burn incense before me. And I'm going to come and I'm going to meet with the high priest and the high priest is going to intercede on behalf of the people for their sins. So that's kind of the context to where we pick up in Exodus 28. God says to Moses, have your brother Aaron. If you remember, Aaron went with Moses before Pharaoh when God told Moses to go and, uh, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go out of slavery slavery and bondage. All right. Aaron went with him. It says, uh, have your brother Aaron with his sons come to you from the Israelites to serve me as priests. And what we know is that Aaron, Moses's brother was the very first high priest that the nation of Israel ever had. Okay. Uh, keep that in mind and turn over to Exodus 30 verse number one. God says this to to Moses again. He says, you are to make an altar for the burning of incense and make it of acacia wood. So let's put our imagination cap on if we can, and let's pretend that this little table that I've got set up on stage today uh, is the altar that God commanded Moses to create and put within the portable tabernacle where God would come and meet with the high priest. So it was the responsibility of the high priest to prepare the altar every day. And he would prepare an animal sacrifice every day for the sins of the people. The Bible says he would burn fragrance and incense before God. Matter of fact, in verse seven, it says Aaron must burn fragrant incense on it. He must burn it every morning when he tends to the lamps. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he must burn incense. And there's to be an incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. And then in uh, verses 34 through 38, the Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices. There's two that I can't pronounce and galbanum and spices and pure what? Frankincense. This is thousands of years before the wise men ever showed up in Bethlehem. It says, and spices and pure frankincense are to be in equal measure. Prepare exactly blended incense from these. It is to be seasoned with salt and made pure and holy. 
Grind some of it into fine powder and put some in front of the testimony in the tent of the meeting where I will meet with you and it must be especially holy to you. As for the incense you are making, you must not make for any, any for yourselves from this formula. It is to be regarded by you as sacred to the Lord. And anyone who makes something like it to smell its fragrance must be cut off from the people. So there was a very sacred and specific practice that the high priest had in ancient Israel. He would go into the tabernacle into what's called the Holy of Holies. It's an inner room where the altar was, was made. And it's where the high priest would meet with God. The Bible says that God's presence would fill the Holy of Holies. And God's presence would cover that entire room. And as the high priest offered sacrifices and burned incense, um, the Bible says that it's a, it was a pleasing aroma that God accepted on behalf of the sins of the people. And it was a sacred and holy practice that had to be done every single day. And the basic ministry of the high priest is that he would prepare the sacrifice, which was uh, for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. That was the animal sacrifice of the Old Testament system. But he also prayed prayers on behalf of the people. And the Bible says that when he lighted the incense, or he lit the incense, not lighted in proper English. So my wife's going to tell me about that later because she's an English teacher. Uh, I have an incense, I have a frankincense candle here today. You can still buy it. And I would highly recommend if you love fragrance and uh, it, it puts off a beautiful odor, it puts out a beautiful odor. And uh, um, it's just great to smell. And some of you may be close up front, you might you might start to smell this by the time that, that we're done. But the high priest would, would light the incense. And, and the, the fragrance and the smoke from the, from the incense would represent the prayers of God's people being offered up to God. And the Bible says that God was pleased with the sacrifice that the, that the Old Testament high priest made. But it had to be something that was done on a daily basis. And the point of, of what I want us to see about how this is tied to the past is it was really important for the Israelites to know that God was their king, that he was their God, and they were his people. And what was even more important than that is God wanted everybody to know that he was holy and they were not. He was perfect, but they were sinners. And church, we need to understand the same thing today. We need to understand that, that God and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that, that trinity that we know that makes up the Godhead that we serve, if we know Christ as our Savior, uh, we need to know and understand and be reminded today that God is holy and God is perfect and we're not. We're broken. We're sinful. We are sinners in need of, of a savior. And the practice of the high priest was to continually day in and day out slaughter an animal to pay for the sins of the people, to remind them God is holy. He's our king. He's our God. We need him. And I know sin is, is not a popular topic in our culture today. Matter of fact, it's not even something that we talk a lot about in church today. 
But church, we need to know and understand we're sinners. We have faults. We have failures. And we mess up. And we break the heart of God on a, on a regular, consistent basis. And God is holy. And God is perfect. And God is righteous. Yes, God is gracious. God is merciful. God is kind. God is loving. Uh, God loves us more than we could ever imagine or dream. But equal to all of that, we need to understand he's holy and he's perfect and he's righteous and he cannot have anything to do with our sin nature. That's why our sins had to be paid for. And until we understand and acknowledge the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to our sin. But when we acknowledge how important it was for Jesus to pay our sin debt, and when we really understand what he went through to take care of that once and for all, it should change the way that we live our lives. I promise you, the ancient high priests of the nation of Israel did not take their responsibility lightly when they walked into the Holy of Holies. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that there, there would be a rope or a cord that would be tied to the ankle of the high priest because he was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies in God's presence. And if he went in there with any sin in his life, the Bible says he died immediately. And they'd drag him out because nobody could go in there. That's how holy God is. That's how serious he takes our sin. And I'm grateful and thankful that the gift of frankincense that was offered to Jesus in that night of worship by the wise men uh, uh, ties it back to the sacrifice that was necessary for the sins of the world. And we're going to see how that plays out in the rest as we, as we look at what it announced in the present. So what did the gift of frankincense announce in, in the present? Well, remember what it was used for. It was used to, uh, to help people with, with physical ailments and issues. Uh, I personally believe it would have been used after Jesus would have been beaten by the Roman soldiers just before they nailed him to a cross. While he was being held by Pilate, I can imagine people uh, who knew Jesus who would come to him and and want to help care for his wounds. And, and, and most likely, this is just my, uh, my take on it, they probably would have used frankincense to treat Jesus' wounds. The Bible does tell us that Mary and some other followers of Jesus, after he died on the cross, that they asked for his body so that they could prepare his body for burial. You know what would have been, would have been used for that? Frankincense. It would be much like embalming that we do today. And frankincense would have been used in that day. So what did that announce about, about baby Jesus in the moment? Here's what it announced. This baby, here's what I believe with all my heart. The wise men, when they showed up in Jerusalem to worship baby Jesus, this king of the Jews, they knew that this baby would ultimately die to pay for the sins of the world. It's the reason why they traveled so far. I believe God revealed in the heavens that, that Jesus, is the Messiah, is born. And, and everybody would have known that the Messiah was going to be the one who would, who, who, would, who would grow up and he would be slaughtered and sacrificed on a Roman cross. And when they showed up, the announcement that it made in the presence is that this baby is ultimately going to pay for the sins 
of the world. And here's the good news. It would not be a temporary payment like the Old Testament system that had to be done every day. It would be a permanent removal of sin for all time. And they announced this baby is going to ultimately pay for the sins of the world. Listen to how the Hebrew writer puts it in Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 10 through 12. It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy. Stop right there. Let that soak in for just a second. God's will for you and God's will for me is for us to be made holy. You know what that means? That means God wants us to be right with him. God wants us to be forgiven. God wants us to be clean. God wants us to be set apart as as holy. Now we know that's impossible. Why? Because we're sinners and we're humans and we make mistakes and we have a sin nature. So how does that happen? Look at what it says. For God's will was for us to be made holy. How? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It doesn't say we're made holy by our church attendance. It doesn't say we're made holy by how much we serve in the church, in the community. It doesn't say we're made holy by how much we read our Bible or by how much we pray. What it says is we are made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And his sacrifice was payment that was good once and for all. And under the old covenant, the Bible says the priest, represented the high priest, stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again. As a reminder, they could never pay their sin debt, which could never be taken away, but our, stop right there. Anytime you see the word but in the Bible, get ready. There's some good news coming after that. Matter of fact, I'm going to do a series one day called Buts in the Bible because there's so many of them and I love them, all right? But it says, it's but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Woo, that's good. That's good news for every single one of us. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what you've done, what you did last night, who you did it with, it doesn't matter. Jesus paid our sin debt once and for all. So what did it predict about the future? It predicted that Jesus would become our high priest forever predicted that Jesus would become our high priest forever. I got a double barrel shotgun today. I got another Bible I want to read to you from, all right? It's just a different translation. Uh, But I've learned in over 25 years of, of teaching and preaching that sometimes we just need to let the Bible speak to us. And sometimes Brian just, God just says, Brian, when you get to this part of your talk, just shut your mouth, just be quiet and just read what I want to say to people. And, and, and in Hebrews chapter number seven, listen to what it says about Jesus's ministry in the future after he would die and be buried and resurrected from the grave. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter number seven in verse number 21, it says, for God has said to him, talking to Jesus, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. Have you ever heard somebody said, or maybe you have, I have many times in my life, I swear to God, and then you say something. All right, well, this is God swearing to himself. 
okay? This is like God saying, I swear to myself, and then he's going to tell us what he wants us to know that is absolutely true, all right? He says, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You, talking about Jesus, are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees the better covenant with God, better being different from the Old Testament sacrifice system. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. In other words, they were human. They died. That's why there had to be priest after priest after priest after priest. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able. Turn to your neighbor and say, he is able. All right, that's the truth you need to get down. Therefore, he is able once and forever to do what? To save those who come to God through him. And he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the high place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. Here's another but, but Jesus... But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. And the law appointed the high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son, that's Jesus, has been made the perfect high priest forever. Woo, that's good. Jesus is our forever high priest. And it's the reason why I love what the Bible says in Hebrews 4. In verse number 14, it says, so then, so this is where it gets personal. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of of ours, look here, he understands our weaknesses For he faced all of them, the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So you know what that verse tells me? It tells me a couple things. Number one, it tells me Jesus understands my weaknesses. I'm so glad that Jesus understands when I'm weak and when I give in to my flesh and I give in to temptation and I do things that are disobedient and I treat people in ways that are Uh, that are not becoming of a Christ follower. I'm so glad that Jesus understands my weaknesses. It also tells me that Jesus relates to my trials and my troubles. Jesus understands and sympathizes with everything that we are going through. So our bottom line thought for today is this right here. Jesus as our forever high priest understands what I'm going through at this moment right now today. And he understands where you're at in your life right now in this moment today. God doesn't look at our lives when we live jacked up lives and screwed up lives and we live our lives for ourselves. God doesn't look down on us when we deal with the consequences of our own choices and say, stinks to be you, have fun with that. God doesn't do that. He understands. Reason he understands is because he's been through it. Jesus was God in 
the flesh, who experienced every temptation that you and I ever experienced, the Bible says. He faced every trial and every struggle. He dealt with death. He, he did it all, except he did it differently because the Bible says he did it without sin. Why? Because he's perfect, because he's holy, because he's blameless, because he was out without fault. So therefore, we have somebody who understands. Matter of fact, look at what verse 16 says. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there will we receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Let me ask you what you need today. What is the need that you have in your life? And, and, and you don't have to... Uh, say anything out loud, but just in the quietness of the next few moments, what, what is it that you need today? Can I tell you, Jesus already knows what you need and he's got a solution for your need. So when the Bible says that the gift of, of frankincense, it, what it does is it represents the priestly ministry of Jesus in our life today. He is our forever high priest. And what that means is Whenever I have a need in my life, for instance, when I was lost and without Jesus and I needed forgiveness of my sins, I could come to him and say, Lord, I don't know everything about you and I don't understand everything about the Bible, but here's what I believe as best I know how. I believe that you are God's son and I believe that you died on a cross for my sins and I believe that your payment uh, your blood shed on a cross was payment enough for me to be forgiven of my sins. And God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to spend eternity with you in a perfect place called heaven. If that's the attitude of our heart, the Bible says that Jesus is our forever high priest who can be our savior and Lord. And when I was lost without Jesus and didn't have a way of being made right before God, I just went to Jesus because he paid my sin debt. And I asked him to forgive me of my sins. I asked him to come into my life. I asked him to give me a home in heaven for all of eternity. And, and by faith, I believe that my sin is forgiven, that I have help on this side of eternity with every circumstance and situation that I'll ever face in life. And one day when my time on this earth is done and I breathe my last breath, I'll wake up in a perfect place called heaven uh, with Jesus for all of eternity. Folks, I believe that as sure as I'm standing here today. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, the greatest decision you could ever make is to say yes to Jesus. And it's an act of faith that says, God, I want to know you. I want to be forgiven of my sins. It's a belief in who God says he is. So if your need is salvation today, you know what? Jesus as your high priest is your Savior. If you're struggling financially today, Jesus is your provider. If you're struggling emotionally today, Jesus is your comforter. If you're struggling physically today, Jesus is your healer. If you're tired and you're weary and you're worn out and you're exhausted, guess what? Jesus is your strength. If you're battling anxiety and discouragement, depression and despair and fear, guess what? Jesus is your peace. If you need grace today, if you need mercy today, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, 
sacrifice, the perfect sinless son of God is your forever high priest. And the Bible says in Hebrews four, you can go boldly to his throne today with whatever it is your need and you will find the grace and you will find the peace and you will find the healing. You will find the love. You will find the acceptment, acceptance. You will find the, you'll find everything you need in Jesus today. Why? Because he's our forever high priest. So what do you need to approach with Jesus today? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you don't mind because we're done. And our band's going to come out and they're going to lead us in one more song. The title of this song is called Enough. And it just talks about how Jesus as our high priest, he's enough. He's enough for whatever it is that you need. And during this last song, let me just encourage you to think on that. And if you need to to confess some sin today, take it to Jesus. He's already paid for it. If you need to invite Jesus into your life today, say, God, I I believe Jesus is your son. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to spend eternity with you. If that's the attitude of your heart, the Bible says you you can be saved today. It's a free gift that's available to everybody. I can't save you. The reason I can't save you is because I'm not God and I'm not perfect. But he can because he is God and he is perfect. Whatever your need is today, go boldly to the throne of your forever high priest, whose name is Jesus. So God, we come to you today. God, I thank you first and foremost for my salvation. Lord, I know I'm the last person on planet earth who deserves to be forgiven of of their sins, but I'm grateful that in your grace and your mercy, you reached down and you said uh, that you adopted me into your family. And God, if there's somebody here today on campus or somebody watching online who does not have that relationship with you, I pray today would be the day they cross the line of faith and say yes to you and invite you into their life. And God, you would begin a change and a transformation in them that can only be explained by your power and your presence in their life. Uh, Lord, uh, in a crowd this size and people watching literally all over the world today, there's got to be somebody that has, has something that they need to take to you today. Whatever the issue is, physical, financial, relational, uh, God, mental, I pray today in this moment we would take it to you and know that you're, you understand our weaknesses. Uh, you've already paid our sin debt. We've got a great plan, a great purpose for our life. And Lord, we can have victory and freedom today in knowing uh, that you sit on heaven's throne today and you're not caught off guard or by surprise by anything that happens in our life. That you're working all things together for our good if we'll choose to place our faith and our trust in you. So God, help us to understand today that you are more than enough for anything and everything that we'll ever face on this side of eternity. And I'm so grateful. God, I'm so grateful for your grace and for your mercy in my life. Speak to us today in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen.